following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. Sermon text is the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 12 through 36. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done by him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may may become sons of light. This is God's word. How y'all doing? (laughs) Good, good. Good to see everybody. Um, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about um, about the arrival of a king. The arrival of a king. Um, this this arrival is 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 unique when you think about the other arrivals of kings. This is a very unique arrival. Um, when you think about, for example, our British friends, uh, those in the UK, they are preparing for. Uh, a wedding in May. Anybody heard about this wedding? Anybody in the room? No? Am I the only person that's heard? Okay. Got some people that's heard of it? All right. Apparently nobody cares, right? Prince, Prince Harry, right? Prince Harry's getting married to Lady Meghan 
Lady Meghan Markle, who will become Princess Meghan, may. And it's important to a lot of people. It's a big deal. Spend a lot of money for this. Anybody got any guesses? Absent of security, $3 million worth. $3 million wedding. $3 million wedding. That's not even including security. That's a big wedding. That's a big deal. By the way, the cheapest cost, there's a, there's a litany of things. You can go online and find out, you know, the, all the different estimates that they're paying for different things. The cheapest thing on the list, anybody got any guesses? The church. 250 bucks. That's the church's fees. 250. They're, they're dropping $50,000 for the toilets. And the church can only get 250 bucks. I was, you know, me, me a pastor, I'm like, dude, show the church some love, right? $3 million, the church should be able to come up on this, right? Should be able to get some new speakers or something out of this. You can't even buy speakers with 250 bucks. It's a big deal because the arrival of royal, royalty is a very, very big deal. The arrival of presidents are big deals. Presidential inauguration was a big deal last year. Spent $200 million when you incorporate security. It's the most expensive inauguration in history. They've been climbing. They've been, you know, they've been climbing through the years. And this one hit $200 million when you include the $100 million for security and then the other $100 plus million for all the other festivities. They spent $25 million on the concert. Presidential inaugurations, big deals. Matter of fact, presidential inauguration is such a big deal that they spent days arguing over whether or not people were there and people weren't there. That's how big of a deal it is. Poor press, poor press secretary got up there and boldface lied to the country and said, this was the largest, largest crowd in the history of presidential inaugurations. And then later on he said, man, I regret I said that. Why? Because it's a big deal. It is a big deal for presidents to be inaugurated. It is a big deal for people to enter into royalty. Heck, it's a big deal for televangelists to get married. 2005, Juanita Bynum. 2003, Juanita Bynum. Big-time televangelists spent a million dollars getting married. I'm not talking about king, queens. I'm talking about just telepreachers. Spent two, one million dollars getting married. I do not co-sign her doctrine, okay? So don't, don't think I'm going to give you a Juanita Bottom sermon today. But one million dollars. They were divorced five years later. So even... President inaugurations are big deals. Prince, princes and princesses entering in are big deals. And even people that want to be royalty, apparently, are big deals. And yet the king of the universe comes riding in on a donkey. What does that mean? What does it mean for the king of the universe to come riding in on a donkey. 
especially when we consider that the arrival of royalty normally signifies big things. There's very few things less spectacular, by the way, in the world than a donkey. You ever seen a donkey before? Anybody ever seen a donkey in person? Not spectacular. Anybody ever seen a donkey run against a horse, like a real horse? I was so curious about it this week as I was prepping, I looked it up, I YouTubed it. I want to see a donkey race a horse. Unimpressive. And yet, that's what King Jesus comes in on. What does that mean? What does that mean? Verse 12 says that the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And the size of the crowd, obviously, is very large, as they mentioned, but it's due to the addition of Jewish pilgrims returning to their homeland in time for the Passover. So Jerusalem is probably about 100K, 100,000 people in, in, in size already. And then you have all of the people that are making pilgrimage into Jerusalem for the Passover season. Some estimates link it all the way up to a million people. Possibly a million people showing up in this moment. So there are a lot of people that are gathered around the temple and the surrounding areas as Jesus is making his way into the town of Jerusalem. Verse 17 says that the crowd had been with him, that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So, so there is a large crowd that's already gathered because of the Passover season, but there is a crowd that is congregating and gathering to see Jesus because there was a, another crowd that came in that had witnessed the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And so that crowd came in, and they became witnesses to all the other people that had gathered for the Passover. And can you picture this scene? There's a million people that are gathered around the city, and the buzz is starting to circulate around the city saying, did you hear that the man that raised the man from the dead is in town? Did you hear that the man that raised the man from the dead is here? Did you hear that the king is here, is what some people begin to surmise, and they begin to gather and congregate, and this crowd swelled. Can we pause for a moment and just take a moment to reflect on the power of witness? The reason that this triumphant entry is taking place, the reason that all these people are gathered with these palm branches, the reason that Jesus sees this large crowd welcoming him into the city is because people were talking about him. And that begs the question, in what ways are you and me in what ways are we influencing the crowd that gathers to celebrate Jesus? How are we influencing that? In what way do you bear witness for or to, what way do you bear witness to his arrival? Not just into Jerusalem, but into this world by his spirit. How do you bear witness to that? How do I bear witness to that? In what ways are we participating in gathering the crowds through our witness? I know how easy it is to say, well, these guys were bearing witness about a resurrection. 
Sure, they had a lot to talk about. Sure, they could run through the streets and tell people about what had happened. But family, I, I would like to remind you that you yourself have your own resurrection to proclaim. You have the resurrection of Jesus to call people's attention to, to gather around. The resurrection is, that resurrection rather, is far more important than even the resurrection of the dead man Lazarus. Far more powerful, far, far more essential, far more, far more um, contributing towards our rejoicing because it is that resurrection that leads to the resurrection of others. And you have that resurrection and I have that resurrection to go and tell the world about. How are you influencing the crowd? In fact, you have your own resurrection that Christ has produced in you through his resurrection to go and bear witness to how he has changed your life to how he has awakened your deadness, to how your spiritual deadness, rather, to, to how he has given you hope in a hopeless world, to how he has rescued you or found you lost in your sin, to how he has snatched the snare that had trapped you in despair. On, on their way, on their way to Jerusalem, they were simply talking about somebody else. But you can go and tell somebody about what he's done for you. Amen. How he has resurrected you. How he snatched you up off the highway of eternal damnation and suffering. and How he literally raised you from the dead. Lastly, you have the resurrection of your brothers and sisters around you. You've seen the change. I mean, we've been, we've been here a year, and God has been doing so many magnificent things that's just circulating amongst us in this, in this small and humble group. Aren't you? Don't you want to testify about it? Don't you want to tell somebody what God has done? You were right about the fact that you don't have Lazarus' resurrection to testify about. You got better ones. You got better stories to bear witness to. So tell the story. But one thing we know is that our king, from hearing this, is that he is coming in power. He is coming with with power in his hands, that he arrives on the scene and people are saying that this is a powerful king, one who can raise someone from the grave. This king, we, we, we seem to be so impressed by so many other things and so unimpressed by him. But this is a king that comes in power and people wanted to talk about him. We talk about all sorts of things. NBA players, we talk about real housewives, we talk about politics, we talk about Many other things that pale in comparison to Jesus. This king came in power and people wanted to talk about him. Can, I be, can, I, can, can, we, can we ask honest questions this morning? When's the last time you had a real serious conversation about your king to some, or with someone? When's the last time you had a really, really honest conversation, a really, really serious conversation about this resurrected Savior? That person that's been telling you they're a Christian all their life, 
and you've never seen any fruit? When's the last time you pressed them and said, man, man brother, when's the last time you've been to church? You, you, when are you going to come to church with me? When's the last time you've opened your space, opened your home? I don't say that to embarrass us. I don't say that to even shame us. I say that to heighten our senses to the opportunities around us. To take part in the king's coming. You may be saying to yourself, there was a lot of people that was there, and then we know how the story ends. They end up crucifying them. So how effective was their witness? Let me ask you a question. How many souls are required to be gathered in heaven before the angels throw a party? Five? Ten? Fifteen? Scripture tells us when one soul comes. Every single time a soul is one to the, to the kingdom, there's a celebration. Every single one is vital. And so if every single one of those people that were gathered that day left and there was one that remained, then there was still a celebration on behalf of the ones that witnessed about him. Don't you want to contribute to the celebrations in the kingdom of heaven? Your job is to cast seed. Your job isn't to be discriminatory and to figure out who's going to accept and who doesn't. You got unlimited seed. Right? You give a farmer, you give a farmer unlimited seed, say, man, hey, just cast wherever you want to, right? What do you think that guy's going to do? Oh, let's figure it out. I, got, I don't know about this. We're going to have to test the ground over here and see if this is going to produce a good crop. Got unlimited seed. <laughs> Just put it wherever I go, right? I, got, I mean, it's, it's, it, I, I, don't have, I, don't, I don't have a limit. And yet we're very discriminatory when it comes to our witness. We act like we got limited witness, right? Are you tracking with that? I don't know if I should share it with him. I don't know if I should share it with her. Maybe they won't accept. Maybe they will accept. You got a limited witness. Witness all you want. Are you tracking with this? Our king comes in power, so let's testify to his power. But our king comes in humility. John takes a moment in this passage in verse 14 to point us to an Old Testament prophecy that's being fulfilled here. He says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. We actually see even more about this king when we read the passage in the context of Zechariah chapter 9, because this is what it's highlighting, Zechariah chapter 9. And in Zechariah chapter 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey, or the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall or the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Also for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Now let's take a moment and let's talk a little bit about what we just read. He's bringing salvation, Zechariah says. He's bringing righteousness. He is delivering people from a donkey. 
the war horses and the, and the chariots of, of, of kingdoms scattered across the world, the battle bows that kings, that, that kings soldiers are, are armed with and using in war shall be cut off. And instead, this king from a donkey will bring peace for the nations and establish rule and reign to the ends of the earth. He will set prisoners free from bondage, according to verse 11. Through the blood of my covenant. There's your hint right there. Through the blood of my covenant, I will set prisoners free. The king is powerful. The king is bringing life back from the dead. The king is bringing salvation. The king is bringing righteousness. The king is setting captives free. The king is bringing down kingdoms, and he's doing it from the humble position of a mounted donkey. This is totally in contrast to what people were expecting. They weren't expecting this kind of humility to be wrapped around this much power. They were expecting the king to come in in his chariots and horses. As a matter of fact, verse 13 says, they took branches of palm trees and, and they went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The symbol of the palm trees is important because what, what, what people surmise is that while it might not have been in that moment nationalistic, it was national. Later on, it became nationalistic. They began to put palm trees on coinage in that area to speak to the nationalistic pride of that area. So here's what's being said is that this is a recognition that this king has come to bring relief and salvation for this people today, right now. Not later, not in some other kingdom, but right now. So they brought the palm trees and they said, Hosanna, right? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So they are saying, this is our guy. The one that raised the dead man from the grave, the one that we've heard about all these other miracles that he's done, this is the one. To come and set things in order right now to come and put Rome in their rightful place right now, to come and deliver us from the oppressor right now, to come and put Israel back on the map right now. And yet he rides in on a donkey. That doesn't quite jive. Philippians 2 and verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord." To the glory of God the Father. This is what that means. He came with humility. He came on a donkey, not because he wasn't king, 
but that through his humility, through his humility, he would win his people. Through his humility, he would be exalted to his rightful place. Through his humility, you would be able to see him flex, but you wouldn't see him flex then. You'll see him flex later. Are you tracking with that? They wanted him to flex then. And he was flexing, but just not in the way that they expected. What does this mean to us? Well, he, well Paul, Paul tells us to have the same mentality and to have the same mindset, to, ha- to have the same way of seeing the world and way of viewing the world. And so what that means for us is that this world, if we are to, if, if we are to live this life for Christ and seek to win our neighbor and to win our friend and to, and to win our family members and to, and to win our communities to Jesus, it won't be one with the battle axe. It'll be one with open arms. It, be, it won't be one from the seat of chariots. It will be one from the saddle of a donkey. Civil rights movement understood that. They talked about what Dr. Ellis talked about at the MLK 50 event in Memphis, Tennessee a couple of weeks ago. They weaponized suffering. that they took the lowliest of positions and they used it to wield great power to literally cause kingdoms to be disrupted and shifted. Christians consider political power in our day and age to be the tool by which we will gain leverage. And the irony is that not only does political power not guarantee us that, but it actually causes us to lose it. We lose power by grasping and grappling for it. The martyrs understood that. Second century, third century martyrs. They weaponized their suffering. Christianity, under normal circumstances, would have been snuffed out. Literally, people were getting slaughtered for their faith. But an interesting thing happened. It didn't get snuffed out. It grew. And it grew. And it grew. And the more people suffered, the more it increased. And the more people suffered, the more hearts were changed and transformed. And the more they tried to put it down, the bigger it got. The Bible talks about mustard seed-like faith, the kingdom of God being like or being like mustard seed, rather not mustard seed faith, but the kingdom of God being like a small seed that increases even while people are trying to snuff it out. The contrast of this triumphant king is that he is a lion with power to breathe life into the dead, and yet he is a lamb who humbly walks to his own slaughter And in being slain becomes the payment for the whole world's sins, including your sin and including my sin. This is not the king they were expecting. This is not the king they wanted, but it was the king that they needed. And folks, saints, fam, it is the king we need. The king arrives to disrupt the status quo. You look in verse 19. It says, the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. 
The Pharisees are definitely speaking with exaggeration when they say the whole world is going after him. They are more than likely frustrated that their plot to arrest and ultimately put Jesus to death doesn't appear to have any legs right now. It doesn't seem to be going the way that they thought that it should go, but it's worth capturing the scene to make sense of what they're seeing. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Sometimes we mentally make the mistake of thinking about Jerusalem being this small place, but Jerusalem is not a small place. It's 100,000 people here, close to a million people now that they have this Passover pilgrimage. And all these people have gathered, and now they're all coming to see Jesus. And people are gathering around and shouting Hosanna and bringing palm branches and laying palm branches at his feet. They are, I mean, they're ready to straight go buck wild and put Jesus on the throne. They are ready to shut things down in, in this area. And put him on the throne. Do you think that the Pharisees saw this and said to themselves, now would be a good time to arrest him? No. They're saying to themselves, let's step back, man. This guy has everybody. Does that make sense? If we, if we say something to him, then they're going to come after us. And so it does look bleak. Because Jesus is shifting things around. And here's, here's the thing, is that th they don't even realize what they're saying. Because a few days from now, they're going to get their way, right? Things are going to shut down. Jesus is going to be arrested. Jesus is going to be crucified. But it still does not take away from what was said earlier. Look, the world has gone after him. Look, you see that you are gaining nothing. Do you understand? They're right and don't even know how right they are. Because they're going to relax a few days from now and say, man, glad we got that guy out of here. And the reality is, is that they have gained nothing. They're going to say to themselves, man, I'm glad everybody's back on our side now. And the reality is, is that the world has still gone after him. Folks, he came to save the world, and the Pharisees' plots will not stop it. He's disrupting the status quo even when the status quo don't know that they're being disrupted. That's the power at work in the humble king who rides in the town on a donkey. Verse 20 says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So these folks have come to see Jesus in verse 20. They're somewhat an odd group because of their status during the Passover celebration. They are Greeks, but more fitting, they are Gentiles. They are outsiders. All signs point to them being God-fearers, though. So, so, so they might not be full-blown proselytes who have converted over to Judaism, but they are a group of people that have great reverence and respect for the God of Israel. And so they've come to worship the God of Israel. Now, to help you understand their status as an outsider, let's talk about how the Jerusalem temple is set up. There's four courts. And there's three that are inner, and then there's kind of like this outer court. So the three that are inside are the court of the priests, the court of Israel, the court of women. The court of the priests, that's where the priests hang out, right, to provide sacrifices, things of that nature. They're the only ones allowed in there. The court of Israel, that's where the Israel men are allowed to worship. No one else goes in but the men. The court of women, 
That's where the Israel women are allowed in to worship. They cannot go beyond that. And then on the outside of all of that, there's the court of the Gentiles. So they're on the outside of the outside of the outside of the outside. As a matter of fact, there is signage around the temple that makes it known to them that they cannot enter beyond this and that there is possibly a punishment to death should they do so. They are outsiders. And yet they initiate their request to speak with Jesus and it appears to be accepted. The outsiders. They got some possible friends in their midst, it seems like, so they go to Philip and they go to Andrew. Philip and Andrew, here's an interesting story. Philip and Andrew, they go to them. Why, why would they go to them? Well, there's some speculation amongst the comment, uh, commentaries, but, but, but one, one particular thought that seems to have the most traction is that they went to them because Philip and Andrew, they got the Greek names. They're the only ones amongst the, 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 the other 12 that have the Greek names. And so they say, that seems like a friendly, let's start with that guy. He has a name like us. And let's ask him if he can get us a sit-down with Jesus. It's kind of like you got a white brother, right, that wants to join a black bike club. He's going through the membership list to figure out, you know, okay, who who am I going to call? It's a really, really cool bike club. Who am I going to call to find out? you know, whether or not they'll let me in, right? And so he goes through the membership list and he sees Darnell Haynes. Okay, maybe not. I don't know. Um, Daquan Brown. Maybe, maybe not. Draymond Green. Nah, nah, let's go. Let's keep looking. Let's keep looking. David Harvey. Let's call David. <laughs> let's call David, right? David's probably my guy. Now, keep in mind, David might be the craziest brother in the club. <laughs> he might literally hate white people. He's like, well, let's call David. Why? Because David's name is friendly, and so David's name is familiar, and that's, and that's, and that's what's happening is it's Philip, it's Andrew. These are familiar names. Let's talk to these guys. Nevertheless, they go see these men. Both of them go see Jesus, and Jesus answers them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, I think it's absolutely worth noting here that while the Jews are plotting the murder of God, He goes and makes not only himself known to the outsiders, but he takes it a step farther by actually allowing those very same outsiders to be the first to bear witness to this ground-swelling moment that the hour has come. He's been hinting at this the entire time. The hour will come. The hour is coming. The hour is coming. The hour is coming. And now the hour is coming. Who is the first group to hear it? The outsiders. Jesus loves the outsider. He loves the one who has been pushed to the edges of the courts. He loves the one who has been pushed to the outside of the gates. So the question is, are you where Jesus is? Are you looking for the prominent seats to do ministry in, or are you looking towards the fringes? Are you looking to the margins? Are you looking to live like Jesus? Are you looking to follow Jesus? Then you must follow him to the margins. Margins. You must follow him to the edges. You must follow him to the outside because that's where you will find him. He is a friend to the outsider. So he's been hinting at this hour, and he tells them that the hour is here. And in closing, you guys thought we were going to go through all the way through 36. We're not. Calm down. We're wrapping up. We're wrapping up. 
Verse 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We'll talk about the rest of this next week. But he says to the outsiders that he's about to be glorified. And the question becomes, how is that going to happen? He tells them that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So he tells them that in order to be glorified, he must die. And that's why this king comes into town on a donkey. His arrival will not be ceremonial. His arrival will not be that festive. His arrival will not be that grand because he is arriving into town to die. But see, it's not simply, it's not simply that there will, that, 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 that death is a means to glory. Folks, that death is a part of the glory. That somehow or another, he's changed the game in terms of what we're to expect of a king. And so in shame, he finds glory. Because in shame, in, in, in the death, many are brought to life. He says if a seed just continues to live by itself, the seed's going to remain alone. But if a seed dies, goes into the ground, then it will produce much fruit. So through the death will come the glory of salvation that is wrought from men and women scattered across the world throughout the history of humanity. He will be glorified, not because he comes riding in on the chariot, but he will be glorified because he is riding in on a borrowed donkey all the way up to Golgotha to die for the sins of men and women. Now, I understand something here that, that when it says whoever loves his life, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I'm sorry, whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So hear this, hear this, hear this. He is saying, I am going down this road, and if anyone will follow me, if anyone will serve me, then he must go down this road as well. She must go down this road as well. In other words, not seeking to preserve your life, not seeking to preserve your comforts, not seeking to find a Christianity that is convenient for your schedule, but literally laying everything down for the sake of the Savior that you love and that you follow. Now, here's the part that becomes good, right? It's not the end, though, because he says that in so doing, my father will honor him. And so it goes back to Philippians chapter 2 when we, when we heard that this Savior is laying his life down. He's taking on the form of a servant. He's becoming obedient all the way to the point of death. And in so doing, God will highly exalt him. 
the Father will highly exalt him. And in so doing for you, God will honor you. And so the chariots are coming. The streets that are paved with gold are coming. The pearly gates are coming. The white robes glistening from their purity are coming. But they don't come while you gallop around this life on your war horse. They come by you mounting the humble donkey and taking on the same posture that your Savior took for you. He will be glorified in those that take the route that he takes will be glorified along with him to the glory of his wonderful name. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you so much for your goodness, your mercy, your loving kindness. We ask and we pray, God, that you would move in our hearts so that, Lord God, um, when we desire the thrones, you would remind us, Lord God, that, that our route is different. When we desire, Lord God, um, to rule and to reign, to do things our way and to live life however we choose, to be our own kings. But you remind us that our way is different should we desire to follow you. And, Father, that is hard, and, and, and sometimes we fail. And so, Father, may we find mercy at your, at your cross. And, and, Father, may we find power by your spirit. And, and, Lord God, may we be reminded that there is grace for us. That, Father, even in our failures, Lord God, you cover us. You keep us. You put us back on the path. And so, Father, we thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in you. We thank you for going before us and taking on, taking on death in our place. So that, Lord God, now we have the ability to freely enjoy you, to freely testify of you, to freely share your goodness and your mercy with those around us. And to freely take on the humble posture that you took before us. From death all the way to life. These things we ask and we pray in your son Christ's name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.